I have so much compassion for people. And I also don't want to make it sound like just, you know, do a meditation course. That's just completely unfair. But in the moment, you can take pieces of these ancient spiritual practices. You know, these are practices that have existed on the planet for thousands of years, because it turns out, you know, we've always experienced stress and emotional trauma. Why else would yoga and meditation exist? Yoga isn't like new from yoga works in the last 25 years. Are you kidding me? This shit's been around for 6,000 years. Because people, apparently people needed to calm down then too. (laughs) So, you know, because life wasn't so easy. You die of a stubbed toe for God's sake. Like, you know, sometimes we get so narcissistic about how hard it is now and how great it was then. I mean, it was hard then too. Life on this planet is insane. It's amazing and it can be rough. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I think uh, you're going to watch me geek out pretty hard because hormones (laughs) are something that I've really only recently begun to learn about in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And learning about hormones and my cycle has fundamentally changed my life. So I'm really passionate about it. And when I saw the topic of your book, I was like, yes, tell us all the things. Let's start with who are you? Tell listeners who you are and why we're going to have this conversation today. Oh, yes. Who am I? The age-old <laughs> question, which changes all the time. I am Dr. Suzanne Gilberg-Lenz, and I'm I'm a board-certified uh, obstetrician and gynecologist. I actually just, after 22 years, stopped attending births six months ago. So that's a huge and identity change. Was that bittersweet? Yes. Yeah, I bet. I'm tired. (laughs) I bet, yeah. You know, no, it's just, it really, it takes a, it takes a lot of energy on every level, like physically, emotionally, spiritually, and not having regular predictable sleep for my entire adult life. Wow. Yeah, I've never thought about that. I can't can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, um, and I always promised myself that I would, I would stop being the first human or second human, depending on how that worked, to touch this person arriving well before I resented being there. Because if you don't sleep, this is not, it's not cute in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So, so, you know, and it's interesting because this, I think this says a lot about who I am as a person. You know, I see myself continuing to midwife things and ideas and concepts and humans just in a different way. Absolutely. You know, I've always been a very creative person. And I think to be a good obstetrician, to be a good doctor, you actually do need to be very creative. I don't think that's necessarily obvious. And I don't think it's necessarily selected for. (laughs) Although 
I applied to medical school a very long time ago. Maybe that's changed, (laughs) but it wasn't that way when I was applying. I think it makes you just a better human and a better doctor. I'm just, you know, I'm attending the birth of other things. Yeah. I think honestly, that is what I have discovered. I'll be 40 in January. And I think I'm based on what's happening with my body, I think I'm perimenopausal already and sort of in that space. And I do think spiritually, I I don't even have anything to like say that this is accurate, but at least for me spiritually, I feel like I'm in a phase where it's about creation. It's just not about creating babies anymore. So something new is sort of growing in these, you know, fertile grounds. It's just not a baby. Correct. I would love just sort of selfishly, I would love if you could tell us about, because I'm just learning this, like what does perimenopausal mean? What is menopause? Like all of those things. The audience has been with me on a journey of trying to understand my own cycle and my own hormones. I have estrogen dominance and have been working to balance that over the last couple of years and it has helped me so much. But now I feel like we're in this new phase and what does all this mean? Well, so this leads to another part of who I am, and it'll help you understand where my definitions are coming from. So I have really serious grounding in academic uh, conventional Western medicine, which I am a big supporter and believer in. But I also feel, I've already mentioned that I uh, spirituality is a very important part of who I am as a human. And so it comes to any interaction that I'm having, whether or not I'm conscious or aware of it. And so I've had a long journey in integrative and holistic medicine as well. I started studying Ayurveda shortly after my residency uh, completion, so uh, 2000. And I actually completed a certification program and I don't practice Ayurveda, but it infuses who I am and what I do. So I have a very, very, uh, I have a deeper understanding of how things work. And I bring those tools, including herbalism into my practice. So I think it's it's, it's important to understand where I'm coming from. I'm not, and that's been an interesting, but actually kind of an uncomfortable thing for me as a practitioner, because I'm either, I'm neither nor, I'm all and I think it works great for me and it works great for a lot of, for people who are attracted to that kind of a practice, but uh, it, it can be, I'm not like fully here or there, which maybe that's just being a woman too, you know, like you're yeah. talking about, like we're always sort of creating and doing things. So I, I, I want, I want people to understand who the person answering that question is. The definition of menopause, which I adhere to is very, very clear. Over the age of 45, 12 consecutive months without a menstrual cycle for no other medical reason. Now, of course, it becomes more complicated if you've had a hysterectomy or, you know, had a chemotherapy or other things. We're not, I'm going to go with the simple and the straightforward, Rachel, so that everybody kind of is on the same page. Now, if you're a menopause expert like me, everything's perimenopause, right? Peri just means the time around. <laughs> you know right. I mean? So here's the deal with that word. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It, it means whatever you want it to mean. And I think it's uh, interesting and it's powerful and it can be problematic because my only concern with the word at this point is, are we pathologizing something that is not a disease? Mm-hmm. It, what, what, whatever you've been going through, and I, I don't know, but it sounds like you, you I, I can get an idea based on what you've just said, um, ha- may have been uncomfortable and uh, created disruption. And that is, those are the words that I use with my patients. When I talk to them about what's going on with them, I want them to understand that it probably is physiologic, not abnormal. Now that doesn't mean that you need to like it or it feels good. And if it is a problem for you and it is disruptive to your daily life, what are we going to do to support you through it? 
It's not a disease. I think when people first started talking about hormone health, balance isn't a, a word I use a lot, and I, I'm, but I'm all about using the language that works to communicate. That's what language is for. I don't think language, I think language should be like food. It's not good or bad with some exceptions, okay? <laughs> but in my world, what I'm talking about. So I don't want to say, if you come to me talking about hormone balance, I, I don't, there's not a balance. That, that's not really a thing medically, scientifically, but that's the language you're using. I want to meet you there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So perimenopause became a very powerful tool as a word to help people identify what's going on. Why are things changing? I think as, as human women or female bodies, we become very linked to our cycles. Okay. And when we get dissociated or disconnected, that can create problems on a lot of different levels. And that is not to say that people shouldn't be on birth control pills, by the way. Like, I think that for the right person at the right time, for the right reason, that's a very wonderful thing. It can be life-changing and help them be in their life in a way that is more healthy and productive for them. But I do think that when we're in the cycle, that's who we kind of are. That's how we identify. When we get into perimenopause, what I see is that it's not as predictable and it changes. And who are we? Who do we become? And is that okay for us or not? So as a tool to understand ourselves and to come more fully into who we are and want to be, beautiful. When it's used, when it's weaponized, and it's and and there are, I'm gonna say it, I think there are colleagues of mine out there who are intentionally or unintentionally predators preying on our insecurities about feeling different, disconnected, discombobulated, that I, I cannot get behind. That's not to say that I don't think that there are things that all of us can do, either ourselves. And the book really talks a lot about, uh, my book, Menopause Bootcamp, talks a lot about tools that we can adopt ourselves. And also how can we approach our doctors, our care providers to create a collaborative experience of getting through that to the next phase in a more healthy whole way. You know, it, there's not a one size fits all thing here. And if working on your overabundance of estrogen at this point in your life has been making your life better and healthier, I'm all about that. And for somebody else, it might be some, some other aspect of that journey. There are things too, I would imagine that would exacerbate hormonal negative symptoms and make them feel better. Like we haven't talked about it at all, but like cortisol or stress hormones or oh, things that yeah. can make it worse. Can Ugh. we talk through that in case listeners aren't familiar with just some things that they can do that will make their overall health feel better and will make those side effects not as harsh? Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's really nothing that's shocking or surprising or new. I mean, I think in terms of specific botanicals, I'm not going to go into that, but honestly, Look, if you look at just the last two and a half years on the planet and the amount of stress that every single human has been under, and the beginning, I'll tell you, I got a lot of great like calls where people were like, I don't know if this is COVID or if I'm having hot flashes from menopause, like what is happening? And I was like, I don't either. Right. <laughs> I still don't know. But the cortisol release that is part of the normal fight or flight response is really physiologic but it's supposed to be a short-term response. And it does help you get hyped up, super clear. I mean, literally your vision narrows, 
you can see the predator coming, you have more energy in a short burst to run from the predator. I mean, this is what it is for. This is an ancient response that was designed for our life on the planet 10,000 years ago. But instead, we are dealing with it all day, every day. That kills your immune system. It depletes you of the hormones that you need. It can change your cycle. So it can exacerbate symptoms. And you can also be having stuff that feels like perimenopause much earlier, which maybe isn't, maybe it's just you're burnt out and exhausted. Yeah. Now, how do I change the world for you? I, I, I can't change the world for you. If you are you know, experiencing job loss, financial pressure, emotional pain, social stress, I have so much compassion for people. And I also don't want to make it sound like just, you know, do a meditation course. Right. That's just completely unfair. But in the moment, you can take pieces of these ancient spiritual practices. You know, these are practices that have existed on the planet for thousands of years because it turns out, you know, we've always experienced stress and emotional trauma. I mean, why else would yoga and meditation exist? Yoga isn't like new from yoga works in the last 25 years. Are you kidding me? This shit's been around for 6,000 years. Right. Because people, apparently people needed to calm down then too. <laughs> so, you know, because life wasn't so easy. You die of a stubbed toe for God's sake. Like, right. you know, sometimes we get so narcissistic about how hard it is now and how great it was then. I mean, it was hard then too. Life on this planet is insane. It's amazing and it can be rough. So, I do still always go back to those lifestyle things, even if it is slow breathing. So I talk about a technique called box breathing. And that is what it sounds like. You're creating, you're visually creating a box. You're breathing in for a certain number of counts. You're holding it for a certain number of counts. You're breathing out for a certain number of counts. I usually do four. And then you're breathing back in. That We know that that has a physiologic benefit. It slows down your heart rate. It increases oxygen consumption and availability in your brain. I mean, th this is like some real science, okay? Your blood pressure will drop. And even if you do that four times, now, if you could do it for two minutes or 10 minutes, oh my God, it's free. Anybody can do it and it will change your body mm -hmm. and your mind and help you approach whatever it is that you need to do right now, whether it's another Zoom call or figuring out how to get your, your kid picked up or making dinner or whatever, that if that's the one simple thing that somebody can do. It really does have an impact. And it's not some kind of magic, it's science. I think sleep is so disruptive at this point. I don't, I mean, this is like killing right. us. And we really have to take our screen time seriously. We really have to put those screens down in a way an hour before we are trying to go to bed. I mean, it's just, it, again, it's science. It's messing up our brainwaves a little bit. Am I saying, get rid of your phone and throw, come on, I live in 2020. This is not happening. The phone's literally sitting next to me, okay, <laughs> right now. Like my kid is calling me, you know. Like, right. Oh. Because I'm an OB and I'm a surgeon, like I'm really good at distracting myself or focusing on what I have to do. Because if this thing is bleeding, like, I'm sorry, whatever's going on over here in the operating room is not my problem. So I've had it for life or death, I've had to learn how to do that. If we can learn how to focus on what's in front of us and slow down, everything else will change. I mean, there are a lot of other things we can do. The self-help, I'm a big fan of 12-step for everybody on the planet. I think the world would be a better place if everybody would do a 12-step program. But those are a couple of things that are, I think are doable. I think the other things will follow. Movement is enormously important. Get It's again, physiology. It's getting the blood flowing. 
And as we age, if we don't have that blood moving to our brains, to our vaginas, to our heart, to our muscles, we're not going to do well. We're not going to feel well. We're not going to think well. We're not going to be strong. We're not going to be flexible. Lifting heavy things in a supported manner, so, so, so important. Building lean body mass, building our bone strength so that the slip and fall doesn't happen and you don't have the hip fracture. Right. You know, I know when you're 20, you're not thinking about this. And when you're 40, you're not either. But, you know, we have to think about when we're 80. We do. We want to yeah, be here. Absolutely. What was most profound to me was even understanding that the things I was experiencing, so like severe mood swings and feeling really angry and not being able to control my temper and think like I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. And when yeah. I understood what was happening and then could do really holistic, I did, um, I cycle seeds and oils, like really mm -hmm. simple things that improve mm -hmm. the quality of my life. I was just like, oh, how did I not know? Like I know. Well, but no because, one... I mean, come on, because yeah. we don't know, because we don't have this conversation, because uh, we are no longer tribal, because right. we don't uh, have an experience of all different ages from an early age, you know, when I was early in my career in, in medicine and really so, so involved in obstetrics and, and having my own pregnancies and my own babies, it was mind blowing to me that we as a human race had to like now go to a class to learn how to have a baby come out of us. Yeah, I mean, it's just the reality. I, I, no disrespect. That's just where we are. Industrialization, capitalism. Okay. It's just, it is what it is. We can have a whole conversation about that, which is a whole other podcast but it does infuse a lot of my thinking and feeling about this. And it's, it's in the book as well. The, the idea that we have got to come back to who we are as humans and how we do that is having this conversation. This is beautiful. So the, the instigator for me writing this book and starting ha having in real life menopause boot camps where I went through this information because people were coming into my office all day, every day, confused, worried, upset, thinking they were going crazy, thinking there was something wrong with them. Any talk I gave about any topic, every question was like, what are hormones? What's metabolic? Like, I was like, wait a second. I can't do this in a five-minute encounter. I got asked and I was interviewed by a dear friend of mine who's 20 years my junior to, she had me go to the wing. This is like obviously pre-pandemic. And she interviewed me about menopause. And I was like, oh, sure. Because she knew this was an area of mine. And I was, I was like, oh, yeah. And I thought during the conversation, oh my God. We have lost this intergenerational conversation. This is where this disruption specifically between women has been really, uh, really a huge problem. And it's a, it's a huge loss. And so how can I reestablish those connections? I love talking to women who are much younger than me, to people who are going to go through this, however they identify much younger than me because I want you all to come into this experience without the dread and the fear, which is acculturated because women, as we age, are scary. So we get sidelined. Now we can participate in that narrative if we like to. I clearly don't. And I come into this with a lot of privilege. Okay. I'm highly educated. I have a platform. Apparently I don't, I can talk. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I have a personality style that's encouraged this. I come from a culture, this Judaism, which is all about talking about stuff you're not supposed to talk about and fighting and everything else. So I, I have a lot of privilege. I have enormous uh, skills. So I get to use that gift and I get to have that conversation, but I really want people to know that 
this is not something to be feared. Right. This is an amazing opportunity. Like you just started, you're just being creative in a different way. And also you're kind of like, once you get through the hard part, which is the sort of unpredictable, you know, rocky waves and stuff, and you're getting thrown about, like, first of all, you realize you got through it. It's yet another thing you got through. And for me, uh, getting through a challenge is always an amazing opportunity to learn and to grow and to see how resilient I really am. It's an opportunity to reestablish uh, community and validation that we get from other people, not just ideas, but just that emotional support. And also you get through it. And now, you know, your body, frankly, isn't tied to a lot of fluctuations and you're in a steady state and you really start seeing another aspect of who you are. And if you got this far on the planet, I am 56 and a half. Okay. I'm proud to say it. Um, I've learned a lot. I have a lot to offer. If you want to listen to, you know, some of what I have to say, if you would like to partake of the wisdom that I would love to share, cool. You don't want to hear it. Also, your loss. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Like, that's it. And women, women need to reclaim that. What's beautiful about this work and your book and this conversation is reclaiming and redefining what this process means for us and what we will decide that it means. I was reading a book recently about the different words for menopause in other cultures and in other countries and what those words are associated with, or frankly, in some cultures, not even having a word for it and how much better their experience of it is because it's just a part of life and it's celebrated and it's when you're coming into your wisdom and all of these things. And based on your family of origin or what you were taught or what you saw on TV or in the movies about this process, it is going to affect then how your body processes what it thinks is happening. Totally true. Totally true. Yeah. It's so important. It's really interesting. I mean, I know that, you know, in, uh, I believe it's Chinese, it's called, because I have friends in Chinese medicine who've shared this with me, you know, the second spring, which is so beautiful. Right. I have a great friend that I've made in the menopause uh, (laughs) space online in the last couple of years, who's been living in Abu Dhabi for many years. She's a journalist there. And I know that I can't remember what the term is in Arabic, but it's something really like crying and terrible. <laughs> it's like, right. Oh God. right. You know, it's like, wow. So the thing about it is that all of life is all of those things. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, so it's not to say like, you know, go team menopause and all of it's awesome. Like some of it's really challenging and painful. There is a process, I think, of grieving loss. And, and these are, these are all normal things that we get to experience as human beings. And that's okay. Again, if we can normalize it and have a conversation and support each other through all of it, then we can approach things with the openness and curiosity that any life event really deserves. And that creates it more opportunities for joy. Yeah. I mean, to me, what gets me going, I think we probably have this in common is like, I, I'm super curious about everything and everybody to be perfectly to, to a fault. Probably. <laughs> yeah. It's probably annoying to some of the people in my personal life, <laughs> but that's what keeps me going. Yeah. That's what gets me excited. That's why I show up. If we can understand that part of it and appreciate and share that part of it, like that's just great. That's fun. I'm about to turn 40. If you're walking into your forties or maybe your fifties and you haven't gone through this yet, are there things that we should hold awareness of, that we should hold space for, that we should anticipate that 
would signal to us that things are changing or how we can better prepare? Obviously, we can grab the book and read all about it, but are there things that listeners can do to just change their awareness of what is on the horizon? Well, I think number one is the attitude shift and not being afraid. Because I do think what happens, and I see this a lot, is I don't want, oh, I'm so-and-so age, whatever age that is. I don't want, I don't need to do that yet. I mean, and I get that. I think that that's like, if it's not in front of me, it's not happening. I don't have to deal with it. And guess what? You should deal with whatever is the most pressing thing, but it just, it's going to make it harder and scarier if you don't just have like a little bit of info. So just understanding the definitions, understanding that for some people, even as early as their late thirties, they're going to start to notice a change in their cycle. Generally, what we see is that the interval between the periods, the menstrual period, the menstrual cycle to a gynecologist is all of it. It's not just the bleeding part, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this becomes a little more complicated depending on if you're sexually active, using birth control, you know, what's going on. And I'm just going to go with the, the straight kind of like, if you have a bleed, right? You are probably going to notice that that cycle interval changes. It may get closer together. They, the periods themselves may get heavier. And then you start to skip. Now that can take, here's the other thing. It can take two to 15 years for this to happen. (laughs) And that's why I also, like I question the term perimenopause because the reality is if you think about when you started having your period to even this age, Rachel, in what world was it the same all the time? It wasn't. I feel like there's a sort of five to seven years of this is what it is. And then, oh, now this is what it is. Oh, okay, now this is what it is. So it's just kind of another one of those things. But the period itself will change. The quality of the bleeding may change. And what I see that really starts to rock people is exactly what you described. People maybe have never had premenstrual syndrome, whether it's breast tenderness, fatigue, mood changes, difficulty sleeping, uh, changes in their strength or energy. Maybe they do, maybe they knew it was two days before or four days before. And now they're getting it from ovulation, mid-cycle on. It's 10 to 14 days in the month. And they feel like they have lost it. They feel crazy. They feel like a different person. They react to situations completely differently. They're not patient. They're irritable. It's harming their their self-concept. It's harming their relationships. They can't do their normal things. Their workouts need to change if they're working out. Like their eating is different. They're bloated. I mean, I go on and on and on. So I think the shifts that people are feeling, if we could understand this is not necessarily abnormal and there are things you can do, whether it is changing your diet, changing your lifestyle, looking at botanicals. I'm a huge fan of botanicals, especially in this period of time, looking at hormones, looking at whether or not you may need some support hormonally, either through botanicals or through hormones. And you know that whole topic is very, very thorny and can be controversial. I will say this, there are there's a million different ways to do this. There's the FDA does approve pharma grade made bioidentical hormones. Bioidentical is it's a marketing term. That's true. So what? It explains something in a way that makes sense to lay people. So I don't know why people are hating on that term. So the thing is that bioidentical merely means that these are they're chemicals, they're hormones. Hormones are chemicals. They are manufactured to be an act exactly the same way as the hormones that your body would manufacture. Okay. So I favor those. And I think the data is in favor of those as well, by the way, whether or not you get those from your doctor's prescription at CVS or a compounding pharmacy is again, a whole other podcast. I tend to start with the FDA approved bioidenticals 
There are a lot of ways to do this that are safe, efficacious, have excellent data to support them. And then if that doesn't work, I live in a large city where I know my compounding pharmacies. I work closely with them to help customize for people who need customization. I have a patient right now who's having a severe reaction to the hormone therapy that we were using that was FDA approved. She's getting eye swelling rashes. It's clearly related to something maybe in the binder or on the patch or something. I don't know exactly what it is. So we'll go to the compounder. Like, should she not be able to take hormones because she can't get it from an FDA approved source? I think that's crazy. No. And also, since when was the FDA the best friend of women? It's not. Right. Look at the history, folks. Like, they didn't even require women be included in trials till 1993 when I was in medical school. Yes. I mean, just just, use your brain. Right. And just like the reality is in front of you. I'm so on this conversation, not just for hormones, but for medicine in general, that women understand that. They understand what you say. Like until, what did you say, 1993? 1993. They were not required to test on women. And we all know that I could take something in the first week of my cycle that affects me totally differently in the third week of my cycle. But if you're only testing on men whose cycle is 24 hours, you're not going to have a good look at how that medicine actually affects people. Don't Don't get me started. Me Me and you. You know, or people who are going to say like, well, the botanicals don't have good data. I mean, true. But who's who's investing a billion dollars like the NIH would? In the worst study in the world, the Women's Health Initiative, by the way, which killed hormones for 20 years in this country, that's the whole thing too. So I think it's actually, let me not, let me not just like allude to that. Let me explain that because I think a lot of your listeners may not be aware of this. The NIH decided to take a very, very large long view in the gold standard type of uh, scientific uh, inquiry that we do called a uh, prospective double-blind placebo controlled trial. They wanted to look at hormones and their effect on women as we aged. So now, by the way, we had a lot of really good large studies up to that point looking at brain health, heart health, overall health of women who are on hormone therapy. They were looking at Premin and Provera, which I don't use, which were, I think, the most prescribed medication in North America at the time. And this is the late 1990s. And they suddenly halted. They had like 120,000 women in this study over time. They halted the study suddenly in the early 2000s because, oh my God, women were having more uh, cardiac events, heart attacks and blood clots and strokes. Oh my God, this is dangerous. We have to stop. It was, and they sent it to press. Okay. So this, (laughs) it's, this is doing, you could Google this stuff. It's some craziness. But I want people to think critically. This rocked the medical world. They have been walking this study back now for 25 years. The American College of OBGYN, North American Menopause Society, so many other medical societies have criticized and revealed the huge issues with this study. This study wasn't looking at women as they transitioned into menopause. The average age in white women in North America is 51.4, okay? (laughs) Whatever. They were looking at women, the average age of the women in the study, Rachel, were 63 years old, pre-existing heart disease, many of which were overweight or obese. Hello, these people were people who were at risk for uh, a stroke and a heart attack. So of course they had them. How does that apply to you at 40 or 45 or me in my, you know, early fifties? It doesn't. Oh my God. So it's, 
everybody got freaked out. They're going to get breast cancer. They're going to die. All their internists took them off their hormones. The gynecologists were like, no, 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 wait, but we have these other studies, you know, and we've been trying to fix that for 20 years. And it wasn't really helpful to anybody, except for that. I do think in that space, in that 20 years, a lot of us have doubled down on our efforts to really, truly understand what this process is on all levels. And that I think is great. I think if we could just talk to each other and listen, and I kind of went far afield with your question, but but I, I think these are important facts for people to understand coming in because this is what's informing the conversation that they may or may not be able to have with their doctor. Their doctor may be like, mm, not talking about it. Mm. Their doctor may be kind of way off the deep end. And you have to come in as an advocate for yourself, open and curious, but also listening to your gut instinct about the information you're getting. And I know that that isn't necessarily the answer that everybody wants to hear, but it's the answer that I have. What are the reasons why you might need to be put on hormones? Like what are some of the things I'm just thinking if I'm going into my doctor's office, is it, Hey, I'm having these issues and we've tried botanicals and we've tried all of these other things and they're not working. I still feel like my life is a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a lot. And I have a very specific population because I have a lot of people coming to me knowing I understand herbalism. I'm trained in Ayurveda, but I also have plenty of people who are straight up, like I'm going to the gynecologist in Beverly Hills and give me my script. Right. So some of those people are, don't want to go to acupuncture or don't have the time or the money to do that. You know, they're working two jobs. They've got a family. They are not sleeping. Okay. So here are the things that I end up really, we have to hone in on disrupted sleep, cognitive issues, Maybe that's related to sleep. Maybe it's related to the brain fog of the hormonal changes, mood issues, huge mood issues, right? And bleeding problems, like Mm -hmm. too much bleeding, unpredictable bleeding, you know, crime scene situation, not able to function. That's (laughs) honestly, that's where I'm at right now. So I feel like I balance the emotional stuff and I, my period has shifted over the last four months to such heavy bleeding, like such heavy bleeding that I didn't know. I literally went back to see my doctor last week. So I was like, something is terribly wrong with me. And I have severe anemia. Like we ran a blood panel. I was just going to, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I honestly had started to feel depressed, which is not like me. I've only had that once, which was postpartum depression after my son. And I was like, what is going on? And I called her. I'm like, this is not working. And she's like, okay, let's talk it through. She's like, I want you to go get blood work. I think this is what it is. And that's, thank thank God, because it's like those are, or thank Dr. Brush, because there are things that I could do to help me feel better. But it it really is so intense. I can't believe I can bleed this much and not die. Yeah. Hey guys, if you are enjoying today's podcast episode, then I bet you'd enjoy an in-person option even more. For the first time ever, I am going on tour. I throw these big three-day conferences where people fly in from all over the world and we get motivated. We talk about our dreams. We create a roadmap. We believe that a better life is possible, most especially if we have a community surrounding us who gets it. It's so positive. The energy is 
undescribable. We are all the same, and if we really band together, we honestly could do anything. That's what conference is all about. And for the first time ever, that experience is coming to a city near you. You can find more information at rachetalklive.com or by checking out the link in our show notes. But essentially, it's an opportunity to reconnect or rebuild a vision of a better life. My future five years from now, 10 years from now self is counting on me right now. It's a chance to learn about how to grow your confidence and how the people who surround you are the most important factor in you becoming a better version of you. I am a leader. Hell yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So crazy that you can come to an event like this and feel so much better about yourself, but it's like real. If you're someone who is dreaming of a better life, but you're not really sure how to get there, if you would love to start a new business, a side hustle, build that nonprofit, go back to school, but you feel embarrassed to admit it to those people who are currently in your circle, come build a new one. You can find out more info in the show notes, and I hope I see you there. I was having a conversation with my boyfriend the other night about something related to period and bleeding and why can't you just use a tampon and that kind of a thing. And he looked at me and he stopped and he said, I don't understand what is wrong with men. Women are so much stronger than we are. Yes. So much. And I was like, yep. Thank you. Yep. That is absolutely correct. (laughs) Thank you for validating that today, sir. Appreciate you. We needed that. Thank you. Yeah. Even just sharing this wisdom is that there's so many routes you can take. There's so many options and there is help because I think if you don't understand that what's happening is helpable, I just through I'm making things up. We if know you what don't you mean. Under, right? <laughs> if you don't understand that, you think it's you. You're like, oh, this is just how I, I'm just a bitch. I'm just a bad mom. I'm just a terrible person. And this is how I'm going to be now. And then maybe you're numbing yourself, right? You're reaching for something that numbs the feelings that you're having instead of getting to that root cause and, and, yeah. and getting some help. Yeah. Yeah. Which is you know, not a long-term sustainable solution, obviously. So um, again, I think we can approach something that's uncomfortable if we feel like there's a toolkit and a a helper. If If we feel like we're headed towards something really scary and there's nothing to do about it, that's really lonely. And it's understandable that people's reaction would be to numb, you know? So, and people are gonna do the best they can with what they have. So I want people to have information and know that they don't have to accept the answer that they're getting always. I'm not, again, trying to create conflict, but I want people to feel that they do have some agency in this because it is their experience in their body. And I I think one of the hard things for all of us out here is that, you know, we don't get enough training in menopause and in a lot of these normal transitions, what I like to call puberty of midlife. <laughs> and I had like a couple of zits to prove it this morning. I was like, okay, like, really? Why? Okay. Why? <laughs> so it makes it hard for people to figure out who's going to be a good partner in their health conversation. And it makes it hard for my colleagues who may not really, that's like not their thing. And they, you know, instead of, listen, you're not in medicine, in my era, at least, you are encouraged to um, be the authority. And I mean, look, I have the confidence at this point and I've experienced to know what I am the authority in, but I always took an approach of curiosity when somebody would come to me and I would be like, I 
I don't know what that is or how to deal with it. Let's check it out. You know, like I just had a lot of humility about it. I think there are a lot of reasons that that's, that's why I came like that. I don't think that's necessarily encouraged in your training. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a problem because how are you supposed to know everything? You can't. And I didn't learn everything that I know now in medical school or in residency. Things of the world has changed a ton. I have to be able, you know, we talk about lifelong learning, but if you're, if your physician doesn't know and isn't willing to have some humility around what they don't know to work with you, then that may, and you, and if you have access to change, that may not be the right person for you. If you don't have access, where can you look? I mean, obviously the book, but where can yeah. you look to arm yourself with more information about even what you may need to know before you're going into a conversation with your healthcare provider yeah. or yeah. what what would be um, things that would be expected and what would be things that are concerning? Like where can they find that information? You know, there's so much information out there now and it's very hard for people to weed through like what is really legit and what is not. I will say that I still like people to look at the, uh, the academic authorities with a critical eye. Okay. So I do think that the North American Menopause Society has a lot of really great resources, including you know, physician locators, people who have been menopause uh, trained. Now, I think some of my colleagues in that area are probably going to be more conservative than I am, but I think at least these are people who have really spent a lot of time and put a lot of effort into understanding what this period of time is, not pathologizing it and having a firm grounding and how to help people through it. So that's a good place to start. I think that um, I will give a shout out to my friend, uh, Anne-Marie Hot Flash Inc., She's a journalist who is amazing and she has a newsletter that is really does take a critical journalist's eye uh, to the world. And she has a lot of people that she works with. She does everything from reading the medical literature to delving into the online world. And there are a lot of really great resources out there that are providing alternative experiences for people. I think some of the some of the online communities like Genev, Kindra, which is a, a supplement company that I medical advise for, and I bring it up only because I believe in what they're doing. They're doing a lot of online education in terms of community building and creating avenues for experts and individuals to learn from each other. Um, I could go on and on. There are a lot of people online and people can reach me online and ask me questions too. I don't do medicine online, but I'm happy to direct people toward information. It's hard, I will say. I mean, you deal with this all the time. The internet is magical and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and wild. I think with, with things like this too, it can be a little daunting because there can be misinformation. Yes, and the misinformation can scare you or make yeah. you feel other or make you feel wrong. And yeah. getting some advice like you've just given us on places we can go where it is going to be a bit more trusted and it is going to be yeah. a positive space to have yeah. these conversations is yeah. so important. And I think that there are so many negative beliefs about what it looks like to age, which are so yeah. absolutely untrue. Right. But you will, it's like you were talking about this idea of pathology and sort of making things an illness when they're not. Aging is not an illness. It's a natural process. Right. And it's possible to do that and have it feel good and have it be healthy unless you think that that's not what's possible for you, in which case you're going to create something that, you know, you saw your grandma go through, you saw your mom go through. It sort of goes back to this idea of how we think 
and believe about menopause. If you saw your mom hating it, if you saw, you know, grandma getting hot flashes and like hating her body and whatever, what does that do to us that we're inside of a vessel that we've learned to dislike and that your yeah. body is doing what it is naturally supposed to do, but you're hating it because you think that it shouldn't be doing these things. Yeah. It's a lot to unwind, but, but I do think just creating that awareness. And when you say something like that, you know, there's somebody who's hearing you say that, and that is so powerful. Our words are really powerful. I remember the first time somebody suggested I do like say an affirmation and I was like, kidding me. Like, I'm not, that is so weird. I'm not doing that. You know, I resist things a lot too. I know better too. Like I know what my, I know what my flaws are. And I, I know when I finally did it, I was like, whoa, it, it taught me a lot about myself, how hard it was for me to look myself in the eye in the mirror and love myself. Wow. What's that? Like that was a, a painful realization for me to have to make. So sometimes it's those weird little simple things that you're resisting that maybe you should like look at a little more closely, yeah. make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. Like worst thing Honestly, is it was uncomfortable and you got nothing right. out of it. <laughs> right. I think we need okay. a little bit more discomfort because in that discomfort, that's when you discover that the beliefs you held on to were someone else's narrative, that there actually are resources that you didn't know about. The experimentation, I feel like, is how we figure out yes. who we're going to become. So yeah. I love this conversation. I love um, continuing to learn about my body. And I hope us talking about it today has really helped to encourage other bleeders to do the same. If people want to get the book, because I feel like we barely scratched the surface of this conversation, they want to actually get more tactical and take a deeper dive. Uh, where can they grab the book? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they find you online? Give, it, give us all the details. I will give you all the details. So I can be found at Instagram and TikTok at Ask Dr. Suzanne, no punctuation. My website, The Dr. Suzanne, has all the info and the HarperCollins website, uh, who is my publisher, also has the pre-order link. Pre-orders are important, as you know. So important. Um, so yes. important. So the baby, the baby's due date <laughs> is October 11th. Perfect. <laughs> During Menopause Awareness Month. <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. I don't think that was on purpose. <laughs> and I look forward to having the conversation. It's been, it's really fun for me to, to share Menopause Bootcamp with the world because I think it's so much more than what people, what people think it could be. So, yeah. Dr. Suzanne, thank you so much for the time and the wisdom and for normalizing this conversation. And I've loved learning and I'm going to assume that the audience really got a ton out of it as well. So appreciate oh, you. Thanks, Rachel. And, yeah, thank of you course. so much. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.